Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the church, campus locations, service times, and more, visit ecoegt.com. Also, stay in touch with us on social media by liking us on Facebook and following us on Instagram, at ecoegt. Now let's repair our hearts as we go into the message. Come on, GT, I'm so excited to be preaching today. I'm a little nervous too, you know. Hey, the first time I ever preached, Pastor, uh, he took me out to lunch afterwards and he gave me some advice. First off, he told me to stop doing this in my hands. And I was like, I didn't think about it, okay. And then, uh, and then I just told him how nervous I was and he, says, and he said, it's a good thing. That means that the word is from God. So if you can't tell from the redness in my cheeks, I am extremely nervous. Um, but I believe that God has a word for us today. Um, and I was talking to uh, my small group yesterday. We have a small group of some young adults that meet Tuesday night at Miss Irene's house. Um, and she's amazing. And she's like a second mom to me. Um, and I was telling them, I was touching my belly. I was like, I feel like I'm pregnant with a word and I'm ready to give birth. And they were like, I think you're just a little chubby. And I was like, we're going to pray for deliverance. <laughs> it turned into a deliverance small group. I wasn't expecting that. Um, but, you know, it's like a tradition almost that for everybody uh, who opens up here, besides Pastor Gary, we kind of open up with a joke, right? So I have a joke, and it's corny, and can you guys just please laugh? Just appease me, okay? Um, so an old Jewish mother complains to her friend, and I promise it's not a Jewish mom and a rabbi and a priest. It's not one of those. An old Jewish mother complains to her friend, my son Joey just converted to Christianity. And her friend says, my goodness, my little Eddie also converted. What can we do about it? The first woman responds, the only thing we can do is pray. So the two of them, they head to the synagogue. They sit down. They take their prayer books out, their Torah. They take out their, their mantles and, and, and everything that they have and their anointing oil. And they begin to pour out their hearts to the Almighty. And after a few minutes, they hear a booming voice coming out of nowhere. How am I supposed to help? God says, irritated. My son converted to Christianity, too. <laughs> that's a thigh slapper. That's a good one. Oh, man. Can, can we pray for today, for this evening? Lord, we thank you for this day, God. And we just pray that you have your way today, Lord. And we just pray that this word, God, touches every heart in this room, God. And it moves like it needs to move, God. We're believing and expecting for a move of you tonight. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen and amen. So to begin, I kind of want to tell you a story about my childhood. Um, and to preface this, I have a great relationship with my mother and my sister. The story might make it seem like I don't. I have a great relationship with them. In fact, my sister gets married in two weeks. Can you believe that? I can't believe it. I'm, you know, I get emotional. She had her little engagement party, and I was crying like a baby when she was talking about it. I may not see it, but I'm very emotional, very soft guy. Um, but when I was little maybe like 13 or 14. So my sister's super annoying, okay? And like, I guess we all will say that about our younger siblings, super, super, super annoying. So I would always be in my room all the time. I was kind of a quiet kid to myself. And she would enter my room every time I was alone to disturb the peace. I knew she was bored, right? Because she had nothing better to do. And she would come to disturb the peace. I was probably playing video games or something like that. And if you've never met Tiff before, that's her name, Tiffany. Um, she's kind of like, my mom says she's broad-shouldered, you know? She's kind of like strong, you know? Um, <laughs> she's like a female J.J. Watt, you know what I'm saying? She like sacked me. And, um, and what she would do is she would start to punch me. Like that was her thing, right? She'd love to punch me. And that girl punches me hard. So she punches me once and I'm like, Tiff, 
My mother raised me better. I'm not going to hit you back. She like provoked me. She wanted me to hit her back. She's crazy. And uh, she hit me again, but this time she put some power behind it. I was like, Mike Tyson, stop hitting me. And she keeps punching me and she keeps punching me. And the only thing I could do, right, I felt like this was the in-between because my mama raised me right. You know, I'd kind of like swing her off me. And, uh, and I'd swing her off me. She'd keep punching me. And one time I swung her off me and I guess she slipped on like the bed sheet or something like that. And she falls, starts crying, hits her head. And I hear, Ma! she goes running to my mom's room. Oh, my goodness. My life flashed between, before my eyes. So my mom was super Hispanic, super crazy. She had like super long nails. And every time she spanked me, she would break one of her nails. And she'd be like, these cost me $60. And then she'd keep hitting me. She's like, I'm going <laughs> to, if I have to get them done again, I'm going to break all of them. And she'd just keep hitting me. And I was like, Mom. I'm like traumatized. I'm getting back. These, uh, these playbacks are going through my mind. So my sister goes into the room. I hear her crying. She comes out. She's like, ooh, you're going to be in so much trouble. And I was like, Tiffany, I can't say I hate you. My mama taught me better. And, uh, and then it was down this big hallway, and I remember walking down that hallway, the hallway of death, and I, no and I knock on the door, and it cracks open a little bit, and I look, and like it was a lion's den. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to peel the Band-Aid. I'm probably going to get spanked. It's going to be awful. I just walk in, I'm crying, Ma, I didn't hit her. I promise you, I didn't hit her. You've raised me better than that. And I'm like crying, sobbing. And, and she's like, Jeff, stop crying. And it, it could be a good thing or a bad thing, because sometimes she'd tell me to stop crying, and she's like, I'm going to give you a reason to cry about, and she'd break the other five nails on her other hand. And, uh, and then she pulls me in, and, 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 and she just hugs me, right? She tells me to calm down, and she hugs me, and she says, I know you didn't hit her. And I'm like, I didn't hit her, Mom. She's like, I know, I promise I didn't. She's like, I know you didn't hit her. And, and, and I'm like, why do you know? Why do you know? She just came in here, and she goes, because it's not your character. I raised you better than that. It's not your character. I raised you better than that. It's a moment that stuck with me for a lot of my life uh, because I assumed that she would lash out at me and get me in trouble before I actually spoke to her. And I feel like in life, we all have a tendency to assume people's responses to situations before we actually know what they think. And Proverbs has something to say about this, 1813. It says, spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. And I don't know about you, but I've proven myself to be shameful and foolish many times in my life. But assuming and reacting uh, without knowing the facts or having full understanding of a situation is foolish. There's a saying about assumptions that I can't repeat here, uh, but the idea is that assumptions make everybody look dumb. It makes both parties look dumb because you're pinning blame on someone who doesn't even feel that way towards you, and you're playing these mind games about what is they thinking, what am I thinking, and we assume and we assume and we assume. And that's something that God's really been working on in my life recently is for me to stop assuming and for me to stop jumping uh, to conclusions. If I jumped in real life as much as I jumped to conclusions, I'd be LeBron James. <laughs> maybe, I should jump, maybe I should start jumping a little bit more to help my, my fitness. Uh, but it's just assuming and assuming and assuming. It's something that I always do. I assume what people think about me. Someone walks by me twice. They didn't say hi to me. They must hate me. What did I do to them? Did I post something on Instagram that got them mad? Did I, did I you know, forget their name uh, or anything like that? Or or assuming how a situation is, uh, is going to unfold. Uh, I assume that all the time. I play all these games. Today, Pastor Tyler, he's like, hey, man, you, can you meet at 2 o'clock? I was like, dude, totally. And I go off, and I'm like, oh, my God, what did I do? 
I just applied for an apartment. I can't lose this job, <laughs> you know? Like, we started assuming about everything. It was the most, it was the greatest, and we literally had coffee, just talked about ministry. But in my mind, I was getting fired today. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. There's a conflict. Pastor asked me to preach. I'm getting fired. I don't know what's happening. We assume, and we assume, and we assume. And it's funny because it's true. And we can see in our lives so many times that we just assume and, and we may look to be so foolish because we assume. But the most dangerous assumptions that I make in my own life is when I begin to assume what God thinks about a situation and what he feels about a situation. Because it's so easy for us in our walks with life and in our struggles in life to begin to assume that God's unhappy with us, that God's not pleased with us, that God's not going to bless us based on what we're doing. And the enemy takes these assumptions and he uses them to manipulate us and to force us to think that we're living a life that's not pleasing unto God. And that's something that I struggle with so much in my walk in ministry while I was going through ministry school, while I was uh, my first time on staff here is like, God, I'm not qualified to be here. Why me? There's so many other people from Southeastern, they preach better. They dress better. They're definitely more administrative than me. Uh, they keep a, pl a planner better than me. They're, they're more into their word than I am. God, why me? Why me? And we make all these uh, assumptions. Why would God bless me? I, I struggle to stay consistent. I struggle to pray. I struggle in my sin. I struggle with my temptations. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. And we make these assumptions. Am I even saved? Have you ever asked yourself that question? There's times that I'm, I'm on staff at a church. And there's times that I'm like... God, am I even saved right now? Like, why am I thinking like this? And I make these assumptions about God's perspective and God's opinion on my life. And the enemy begins to use these assumptions to tell us, is it even worth it to keep trying? You're never going uh, to please God, so why continue to be faithful? Your best attempts is not enough to please God, so why even give those attempts at all? Because if the enemy can get us to jump to conclusions before we realize the truth and the facts, then maybe he can stop the plan of God from unfolding in our lives. But tonight, the only way to combat lies is with truth. And I want to speak truth into your lie and come against any lie that the enemy may have been planting in your head. God's not done with you. God is not done with you. He has not abandoned his plan over your life. I'm preaching to somebody today that when he sees you, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees a saint. When he sees you, he doesn't see someone who's too far gone. He sees someone who's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, someone who's pleasing unto him, someone who's ready and willing and able to be used by him. When he sees you, he doesn't see a failure. He sees a great success. And I want to tell you, you're doing better than you think you are. You're doing better than you think you are. And I want to prove all this to you uh, tonight. And if you're taking notes, the first point of today's message is that when God sees you, he does not see a sinner. When God sees you, he does not see a sinner. So I, I was going through Instagram. I do that a lot. I'm, I'm in charge of the on guys. Come on, online guy. You know what I'm saying? I'm on the Internet a lot. I promise I wasn't slacking off. So I was scrolling through Instagram. And you know how they have like sponsored posts on Instagram and Facebook? And I, usually it's about shoes and things like that. I have a problem. But then uh, recently it's been sermon clips like crazy. I'm getting a ton of sermon clips. And not like Stephen Furtick. I mean like 
like small Baptist churches, like their spending budget is weird. Like why, why are you spending money on, on sermon clips? But anyways, there's uh, this old, small, old uh, Baptist preacher. He, he, just, he just, he says something, right? And it kind of sticks out to me. And, and he says, he claims believers are never called sinners in the New Testament. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I've never heard this before. Um, so I go down this long rabbit hole of research um, it's what I do, you know, it's what I went to college for. I just love studying the Bible. So I just go down this long rabbit hole. It took me like eight hours. It was crazy, right? And, uh, you know, Paul told Timothy in, in 1 Timothy to study yourself uh, to be approved unto God. Um, so, and I think some of us can learn from that because we'd be sharing everything that we see on Facebook and on Instagram. We don't really check how theological it is, how true it is, how real it is. And it's important that we learn to research for ourselves, um, it's not just enough to trust our research and to trust pastors' research, but God has given you all the ability uh, to be able to get deep into the word from, for yourself. So I was like, I got to fact check this guy. Fact checks, you know, they're big nowadays. I had to fact check this guy. So I look it up. Um, and a version of the word sinner, sinner, hypocrite, whatever, pick your, pick your word. A, a version happens over 200 times in the New Testament. But the specific Greek word translated for sinner is hamartolos. Probably not pronounced right, but hamartolos. And it occurs 47 times in the New Testament. And while they, didn't, uh, while they did use the word sinner uh, various times in the New Testament, it turns out, and I literally went through every single one, not one of these verses is spoken by Jesus or the apostles or the writers of the New Testament about a believer who had sin. What we see is that the title of sinner, like the title of unrighteous, like the title of hypocrite, ungodly, unholy, are exclusively reserved for unbelievers. It was very interesting rabbit hole uh, that, uh, that I went down. And, and, and this led to the question, and the question I want to answer today is that, why are believers in the Bible called righteous and not called sinners when we know for a fact that believers like now, um, believers then like now, commit acts that constitute sin? Throughout 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Paul lists the crazy sins that the Corinthian church is doing, and never once did he call him a sinner. He just talked about the sin. It's like, how, how is this possible? And I think the answer can be found in Romans 5, 18 through 19. And, and it says like this, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with good and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. See, we were made sinners by Adam's disobedience, but we're made righteous by the obedience of Jesus Christ. It's not about what you did, but it's all about what he did. It's not about how good you can obey, but it was how perfect Jesus's obedience was on the cross of Calvary. And because of that sacrifice, we're able to be viewed as righteous, regardless of our flaws. You're not called righteous because of what you can do or what you have done. You're called righteous because of what Jesus already did for you on the cross of Calvary. And we see this distinction in Romans 5a, just a few verses prior. Um, and, and Paul writes, but God showed us his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were, someone say were, while we were still sinners. You see, when you accept Jesus into your life, a shift happens. You were a sinner. You are now righteous. 
When you accept Jesus into your life, you were a sinner, but now you're blameless. You were a sinner, now you're holy, now you're sanctified. But Jeff, how is that possible? How can God see me as righteous when I still struggle with so many sins? And I struggle with my temptations, and I struggle with everything that life throws at me. And God sees those that are in Christ as already holy, sanctified, and righteous in his eyes solely because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Solely because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for you and for me. Not because of what you can do, but because of what God already did. And I feel like it's almost disrespectful to tell God that we're not worthy of that sacrifice. Because he took those blows for you. He carried that cross for you. He carried that burden for you. And so many of us view that sacrifice that he made and we tell God, we're not worthy of this. Why'd you do that for me? And it's almost like we're discrediting everything that he went through. Every, uh, every, every strike that he took, every spear that was given to him, every nail that was put in him, where it's almost like we're discrediting it because we're saying, God, I know you did that for me, but I'm not worthy about it. But who are we to deem who Christ believes is worthy and who isn't? And he deemed it for you in this place today to be worthy of that sacrifice sacrifice to be worthy of being called righteous to be worthy of being called holy second yeah. corinthians 5 17 through 18 says this means that anyone who belongs to christ has become a new person the old life is gone a new life has begun and all of this is a gift from god who brought us back to himself through christ and god has given us this task of reconciling people yes. to him Many of us have accepted Christ into our lives, but when we look at our lives and look in the mirror, we still see our old selves looking back at us. I don't know if I'm the only one who's ever struggled with this, but I, I see all the progress that I've made on my life. I've seen all of God's promises fulfilled in my life, and I'm able to look back and see that, but when I look in the mirror, sometimes I see the old Jeff. And it's so hard to make that distinction. We still see our flaws, our sins, and our shortcomings. But can I encourage you today that when God sees you, he sees a new, righteous, and holy creation. He doesn't see what we see. And aren't we thankful that he doesn't see what we see in the mirror? Your old life is gone. Jeremiah prophesied that, that the Messiah was going to no longer remember our sins. But we sure tend to remember our sins. It says he throws them to the depths of the sea and remembers them no more. David says that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he separates us from our transgressions. And God separates us, but we still seem to think about what we've done. We still seem to remember. God forgets, and we continue to remember. And another problem that arises in this is that some may, some may view this grace that God gives us as an excuse to then go and sin. Right, I'm going to go sin because God views us as holy anyway. And this was something that, that people struggle with a lot. But I think if you're in this place today and you think like that, I would question if you've ever had a life-transforming experience with Jesus Christ. If you're in this place and you view God's grace as an excuse to sin, I would question if you've ever had that life-transforming experience with him. Romans 6.15 says, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. 
Of course not. But if we're being honest, when I consider all of the Christians that I know and all the people that I do life with and everyone that's in this room today, I realize that we're not really looking for a reason to sin. Uh, instead, we're looking for a way out of sin. And we get into these cycles in our brain and in our lives where we sin, we repent, and then we repeat. We sin, we repent, and then we repeat. And then we say, God, I'm praying good this week. It's, everything is going well. And then you mess, you mess up, you repent, and you're like, oh, my goodness, I have to go down this, 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 this cycle again. And this cycle can be so, so it's such a burden onto our lives. Sin, repent, repeat. Sin, repent, repeat. And, and it reminds me, uh, if you guys follow me, you guys know I'm kind of going through a, a, a health kick right now. Um, I've been going to the gym for like three, four months consistently right now. I've actually lost 45 pounds. Can you believe that? God is good. God is good. Um, but this isn't the first one I've ever gone on. <laughs> you know, I've been through a lot of health kicks in my life, you know. <laughs> Go to the gym for a week and then I stop. And, and what I realized this time, uh, and hopefully it's different, right? I really don't want to <laughs> relapse or anything like that. But what I've realized is, is we go down this day where we're going good for a week or two. I'm going to the gym every day. I'm eating, I'm eating healthy. Everything's going good. I'm seeing progress. And then something happens, life happens, and we have one bad day. And we're like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I ate that. And all this pressure is on top of me. I can't believe I didn't go today. Oh, my God, Ruben abandoned me. He's my, he's my workout partner. How dare he? Uh, our gym days are sacred. And, and this one day then converts into one bad week. And, well, we didn't go yesterday. It's whatever. We won't go tomorrow. And then the next day happens. And then it goes from one bad day to one bad week to one bad month. And then all of a sudden... I gained every single pound that I lost. And I, and I realized, man, that equates so much to my walk with Christ at times. I'm doing so good. I'm coming to church. I'm reading my Bible. I started the 30-day shred. I'm 15 days in. I've read half the Bible already. This is something amazing. I'm in two small groups. I'm in four small groups. You know, I come to every church. I serve all three services. And then once weekend happens, you can't come that weekend. And you're like, well, they didn't need me, so I won't have to come back. It's all right. I'm going to take the next weekend off. And then one bad week, one bad day turns into one bad week, turns into one bad month. And we continue in on this cycle where we sin, we repent, and we repeat. We sin, we repent, and we repeat. In the same way that I eventually stopped going to the gym, we allow our spiritual lives to die because we carry this burden of our sins on top of us and we're carrying around a burden that Jesus already carried for us on the cross. We're carrying around a burden of our own sin that Jesus already carried for us on the cross and, and it cripples us so much that we just give in to our sin and we stop fighting for what God has for us because we think we'll never be able to please God or live up to his standard. And what I've realized is that in my, both my health and both with Christ, I'm on a journey and on a marathon. And it's easy to get discouraged when we don't see immediate results. And similarly, in our walk with Christ, we're on this journey called sanctification. And we get so discouraged and we want to quit when we don't see our final product right now. But every time that I quit, the question that I always ask myself is, what if I wouldn't have? 
what if I wouldn't have quit? Where would my body be like today? And, and I want to ask you that. What if you wouldn't have quit on your walk with Christ? What if you wouldn't have let the, 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 those doubts get into your brain? What if you wouldn't have let the enemy enter your mind and bring in this doubt? The second point is, is that we're still on this journey, this journey of, of sanctification. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Our salvation happens in a moment but our sanctification is a lifelong process. And that's something that we tend to forget sometimes in our walk with Christ. We think that the moment that we accept Jesus into our lives, we are automatically perfect. All sin leaves our life. We'll never struggle with anything again. All doors will begin to be open. God's favor is just going to be poured out upon us. Everything's going to go great. Everything's going to be amazing. But our sanctification is a lifelong process. God begins and continues his work on us until we eventually reunite with him. So it's just like, it's just like going to the gym. I, I want to see the results now, but it's such a hard process. Is it even worth it to keep going? And eventually we quit, we backslide, and we can't imagine that we'll be able to keep up with the process because it's too hard, it takes too long, and we're harder on ourselves sometimes than God even is on us. Philippians 3, 13 through 14 says, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Can I tell you today, don't look back. Don't look at your past. Don't let your past determine your future. Don't quit. Don't give up. You're going to make it. Don't give up. God's not mad at you. He's not angry at you. He values you and he believes in you. Do not give up. Don't look back. Continue on with the race and with the plan and with the appointment that God has placed into your life. Don't be your, your own worst enemy. Put your trust in him. Cast your cares on him. Put your hope in him and press on until the end. If the band could... Start making its way up. This is just something that God's really been working on my heart on. I, I tend to unvalidate myself a lot. Say that I'm not good enough for this. That I'm not worthy of this calling that he's placed into my life. And it's something that, that I struggle with, with a lot. And, and God led me uh, to this passage of this story of a vision that Peter has in Acts chapter 10. Uh, it's verses 9 through 15. And, um, and the word of God says like this. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. And something very interesting happens here in verse 14. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish law have declared impure and unclean. Isn't it so like us to question God? Isn't it so like us 
to tell God, no, I can't do what you're calling me to do. I've never done that before. I don't know what it's like. I'm not qualified for that. I'm not ready. I'm not good enough. No, Lord, why do you put this on to me? I'm not worthy of this. And we see that Peter pretty much has put a box of limitations around God. And he's saying, the law said I couldn't eat those, so I'm not going to eat those, even when the very own voice of God was telling him to eat them. And a lot of times we're like, God, that's not in my character. That's not who I am. I struggle with this sin. It's been a part of my family. It's been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. So it's impossible for me to do what you're calling me to do. I can't eat that. I'm not good enough. I can't do that. I'm not holy enough. I can't do that. I'm not pure enough. I'm not worthy enough. And in verse 15, the voice speaks out again to Peter. And he says, don't call something unclean if God has made it clean. And that's the third point. But don't call something unclean if God has made it clean. And you may ask, what does Peter's diet and food choices have to do with me? But we realize just another 12 verses down, that Peter understands that this vision wasn't just about the food that he can eat. It wasn't so much about food, but it was more about people. And this man, Cornelius, was a Gentile, and he invited um, Peter to come over to his house to have lunch and, and, and to pray for him. And in, in, in verse 28, he gives a response to the disciples as they're heading to the house. And Peter tells them, you know, it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter, enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Can we all stand to our feet in this place tonight? God told Peter, do not call something unclean if I have made it clean. And I feel like God wants me to tell somebody today, and if you get anything from this sermon, it's that this, that you have been calling yourself unclean for too long. You have been disqualifying you from yourself, from what God has for you for way too long. You have been too harsh on yourself and too strict on yourself for too long because God has cleansed you he has redeemed you he has purified you he has made you whole he has made you righteous oh, I'm preaching to somebody today he has made you holy and let no man no man including ourselves call dirty what Christ has deemed clean let no man call unholy what God has called holy let no man call unworthy what Christ has deemed worthy and let no man call worthless what Christ has declared priceless. You've been too hard on yourself for too long. And tonight, we're coming against all self-doubt in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We come against all self-harm, all self-sabotage in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. He carried that burden for you on the cross. You don't have to carry it anymore. He nailed your sins onto the cross. You do not have to worry about them anymore. He has made you holy and righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's time that as believers, we begin to stand up and walk.
Jesus Christ has placed into our life. You are not unworthy for this. You are more than able to complete everything that God has placed into your heart. Generational curses have to break in the mighty name of Jesus because you are worthy. You are worthy to receive what God has for you. You are more than worthy. You are more than a conqueror. Don't focus on your failures. Focus on his faithfulness. You're doing better than you think you are. You're doing better than you think you are. Can we all lift our hands? I just want to pray for everybody in this place. And then I just want to worship after, after we pray. But I believe that God is breaking some things off of our lives today. Lord, I just pray right now, God. God, that you remove all self-doubt over our lives, God. Lord, so many times we think that we have all these enemies around us, but the worst enemy is ourselves sometimes. Lord, and I pray today, God, that you fill us with the hope. God, that you fill us with the courage. God, that you fill us with the passion and the ability, God, to do and accomplish everything that you've called us to do, God. God, I still may be a sinner, but you see a righteous man. And we still may be sinners, God, but you see a holy people, God. We still may be sinners, God, but you see people who were worthy of your sacrifice on that cross, God. And I pray that we begin to walk in that authority today, Jesus. And I pray, God, that you touch every life and every mind in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just worship Jesus for a